We're continuing in our series in the book of Jonah, and uh, we just spent the last two weeks in an extended introduction, and now we're getting into the first five verses of the book. So let's look at them together and get straight into it. Open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter one, Jonah chapter one. As you're turning there, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray you would speak through your word. And I pray, Father, that if you so choose, would you speak through me tonight? I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm unworthy of it. But, uh, Lord, I know that you're good. I know that you're gracious and merciful. Lord, I know that you desire people to know your word, to hear it, to see more of who you are. And I pray that that happens tonight, Lord. May whatever I have to say end the minute we hit the parking lot, but but may whatever you have to say last for all eternity tonight, Lord. Would you speak through your word like only you can? Speak through the prophet Jonah like only you can. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's look at the text together. Starting at the very beginning, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then... The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. All right, well, if you were here last week, I told you one of the reoccurring themes of this book is going to be, don't be a Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. And that's aptly what I I titled the message tonight. We're going to see that time and time again, but I think these first few verses are where it is most obvious. This is where we're really introduced to who Jonah is, and it's like we're just sort of slapped in the face with his character. We're just sort of all of a sudden very aware of the type of man that Jonah is, or at least the things that he's struggling with right now. So hashtag don't be a Jonah. That's that's the message. If, if, If hashtags are still a thing, let's get it going, right? And if they're not, Bear with me, because I'm a millennial, and that's how we speak, all right? So, we don't want to be like Jonah, but that's not all that we're seeing tonight. Tonight, we're not just seeing what we shouldn't be like. We're actually learning lessons from what God wrote here. We're learning lessons from this story of Jonah, and specifically, we're going to learn three lessons. Three lessons about how God has made the world, three lessons about the truth God has placed in the world, and three lessons that we can see from Jonah's life. Now, these three lessons, they might be new for some of you. For many of you, they're going to be a reminder, something that you already know that you just may not have expected to see in the book of Jonah. But either way, these are lessons that we need to hear. These are lessons that we see in God's word and ones that we should never grow weary of preaching and hearing because it's God's word. It's God's truth. It's where we find joy. It's where we find life. So let's get into these three lessons and let's start with the first one. The first lesson we learned tonight is disobedience leads to death. Disobedience leads to death. Starting off light tonight, why not? All right. 
So I've got the, this phrase, right? Disobedience leads to death. But let's, let's just start out going through the verses. Verses 3 and 5 is where I draw this from. And let's just first understand just how disobedient Jonah was being. See, in verse 2, we have the call from God, right? So arise, go to Nineveh. That's what he tells Jonah to do. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And this is not an unusual calling. This is, this is something that God does quite often. If you turn to most of the prophets, they're going to start with some calling from God. And we're talking Isaiah, Elijah, even Moses and, and Abraham, right? Abraham was called out from the land that he was at. Like the first time we hear God speak to Abraham, he's essentially saying the same thing. Arise and go to a place. So the call for Jonah to arise and to go to Nineveh, it's right on par with what we should expect from a prophet. This is like standard prophet work. This is their job. This is what they don't get paid for, right? This is what they live for, is to do just this. But Jonah's response, that's what's not usual. That's what's not on par. In fact, it's the complete opposite because it says that instead of rising to go to Nineveh, look at verse 3, it says that he rose to flee. So he's told to arise and go to Nineveh, but it says instead he rose to flee. And this is something that has never happened before. This is something that we have never seen recorded anywhere else in Scripture. We have not seen a prophet of God directly, intentionally, and ongoingly disobeying God. That is not normal. You want to know what is normal is obedience. What's normal is to hear what the Lord has to say and to respond. That's what we see the prophets of God doing time and time again, like in Isaiah 6.8. Isaiah 6.8, this is Isaiah seeing the vision of the Lord and seeing the Lord in his splendor and holiness. And it says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah saying this, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. We have Isaiah as like a model prophet. He sees the need, he sees his God, and he wants to respond. And then you've got Jonah, who is the exact opposite. Jonah chooses disobedience over obedience. And it's not just one choice in the heat of the moment, like when Moses hit a rock. You, you might remember in Numbers, Moses is told to speak to a rock that water might come out of it. But instead, Moses goes up and he hits a rock. And the water comes out of it. And in that moment, Moses, as a prophet, was disobeying God. But it was a momentary thing. Something he paid a price for. But something that was not an ongoing, habitual disobedience to the Lord. But for Jonah, his disobedience was consumed by, by days. Look at, look at verse 3 with me again. Verse 3 says that he went down to Joppa. Now, I'm going to pull up a map here real quick. You remember this map from, from last week? So Gath Heifer, that's where Jonah's from. And he's, he's from there. Goes down to Joppa. Now, there's, there's not any way for you to see this, but that's about 60 miles. About 60 miles. I, I don't know about you guys. I, I can't exactly do the math how long it would take someone to walk or maybe ride on a camel 60 miles. But I assume it's going to take more than a few hours. And I assume in that day and age there's not paved highways there's not signs to say where to go it's going to take a few days to travel 60 miles 
You see, Jonah wasn't just disobedient in a moment. He was ongoingly, decidedly, consistently disobedient. And after that, it doesn't stop there. This isn't just one thing. He doesn't just decide to, to, to leave and go the opposite direction. That's where he's heading. It's the opposite direction from Nineveh where he's called. But on top of that, he pays money to be disobedient. If you're looking back at the verse, it says he finds a ship and then it says at the halfway through verse three, so he paid the fare and went down into it. So not only is he spending his time being disobedient, but he's spending his money to be disobedient. And what Jesus says is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jonah is bent upon disobedience. So that's obvious. Jonah's disobedience is obvious and it was ongoing. It wasn't just a heat of a moment thing, like I said. It lasted days. It probably lasted weeks. We don't even know how long he was out on the water once he was on the ship, but, but we can have a good estimate that this was multiple, multiple days. And the text is very explicit to the point of how much disobedience leads to death. Disobedience leads to death. Now, remember I told you last week that Jonah is a, is a satire. Right? It's written in a very particular way. And what does a satire do? A satire is meant to expose human folly or human vice. It's meant to expose the stupidity of man. Or the wickedness of man. That's how it is written. Remember I showed you that Taco Town video to sort of show the ways that we can exaggerate things to make a point? Well, this passage has those things. How many of you, you know, you don't have to raise your hands, but a euphemism. A euphemism is something that occurs a lot in these first few verses. And if you're wondering what that is, I have a little definition here. A euphemism is a mild or indirect word or expression that substitutes one considered to be too hard. Meaning, it's something when we say, when we reword something to try to make it sound less harsh. Think about companies that do mass firings. Right? They bring in a whole bunch of people and they fire them. What do they typically call it? We're downsizing. We're laying people off. They don't say, yeah, we're just terminating people's jobs. What about when someone dies? When someone dies, we sort of feel that tension. Like, we don't know how much to call attention to it, but we as a culture, we've come up with a few ways to say it. We'll say they passed away. They went to be with the Lord. Those are euphemisms. It's when we say something to lighten the blow or say something to acknowledge something that's even deeper or something that's even harsher. And this passage is littered with euphemisms. Let me show you what I'm saying. Now, this is the part where like, you're really going to want to be looking at the word because I'm going to be pointing out specific words in the verse, all right? So here in verse 2, let's just start with this word. When it, God is talking about Nineveh, it says that their evil or their disaster has come up before me. Now, that word come up is very important because it acknowledges that the things that are to God are upward, right? So he, even though he's talking about disaster and evil, he's talking about the things that are directed to God, the things that are for God's mind are upward. So we see right there in verse 2 that the, the sin of Nineveh and their need for repentance has come up to God, but then we see the opposite happen with how it describes Jonah. So we have this idea of going up in verse 2, but then in verse 3, what does it say? Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and he went down. 
There are things that go up to God, but Jonah is going down to Joppa. And then it says again in verse 3, so he paid the fare and he went down into it. Isn't that a sort of a weird phrase to talk about going down into a boat? You might say he got on the boat, but he uses this term went down. And then if you skip with me to verse 5, talking about Jonah um, you know, being on the ship in the storm and, and, and the, the mariners are all upset and they're lightening the load of the ship so that the boat will float better. And it says halfway through verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. All three times that we see the word gone down, it's a euphemism for death. In the Hebrew, it's a euphemism. It's like saying life went up to God, like the the life that the Ninevites should have went to God, but Jonah passed away to Joppa. Jonah passed away down into the boat. Jonah passed away down to go to sleep. Like it is purposely using this language to show you that the disobedience that Jonah has to God is one step closer to death for him. That's what it's trying to point out. That's the beautiful language of Jonah that we may not just pick up as we read in the English, but it's very obvious and very sophisticated in the, in the Hebrew text. So all this to show the direct disobedience to God, intentional di- disobedience is as foolish as walking into death itself. That's, that's what it's trying to make. If you choose to disobey God and you choose to live that disobedience and you choose to spend your time and your money doing it, you might as well just choose death. You might as well just choose to pass away. And this is not news for us. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, this is not news for us because Scripture has revealed this to us. This is Romans 6.23. It's on the screen. It says, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Sin, disobeying God. Smearing God's name. Being unlike His character. Disobedience is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. More on that in just a minute. It's a great reminder for us, and this should be a sobering reminder for us, that that Jonah shows us the danger of disobedience. He reminds us the danger of our former disobedience to God. Romans confirms that that disobedience brings death, but also shows us that Christ is the one who brings life. We've talked about that in our introduction two weeks ago. However, as we find joy in our salvation in Jesus, as we find life in him, right? If, if, if sin is bringing death and Jesus brings life, as we find life in Christ, we need to also in the back of our minds just be mindful of the areas in our life in which we're living in ongoing disobedience. The areas in our life in which we are just intentionally spending our time or money or thoughts on disobeying the Lord because we're told Matthew 3.8 says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what's commanded of those that would follow after Christ is that they would bear fruit in being repentant, meaning they would not ongoingly desire to be disobedient. That's the whole concept. Or maybe this one, this is on the screen. James 2.26 says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Meaning that a life dedicated to Christ that doesn't contain the works of repentance. A life that says it's for Christ, but doesn't actually contain fruit and showing it proves to be a life that's not actually dedicated to Christ. 
proves to be a life that's not actually lived for him. And so our application from this, you know, I want you to have an application point, something to be thinking about. Our application is to be mindful of the ongoing disobedience in your life and take care of it to guarantee that it doesn't lead to death. Repent of it. This is, this is the call. Just repent of it. Don't be like someone that travels miles and miles and miles in your sin, pays the fare for your sin, and continues on trying to run away from the Lord. I think you know the examples of your ongoing sin. I think you know what you're struggling with. You know what you're giving into. You know if it's pride or lust or anger, envy, slander, gossip, whatever it might be. Jonah's reminder, one of the lessons, to don't be disobedient, but follow after Christ in obedience. All right, so that's the first point. Let's get on to our second lesson tonight. So our second lesson that we see also in verses 3 and 5 is that a sinful heart makes a foolish mind. A sinful heart makes a foolish mind. You know, one of the things that stands out about this entire story is not just Jonah's disobedience, but it's his foolishness in thinking that it would work. It's his foolishness in thinking or at least attempting to do what he tries to do. Like we find out later in this book, actually, that Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. We find out in chapter 4 that he says about why he did what he did, but we'll get to that later. Let's just talk about the intent that he's showing right now, and his intent is pretty obvious. It's satirically obvious, actually. Remember I told you this is a satirical book. Not only does it have euphemisms in it, but it also purposely repeats phrases. And it purposely repeats them in a way almost to make a joke almost to make a jest and really, really exaggerate the point of what they're trying to get to. So let's look back at the text again. It says, Jonah rose to flee in verse 3. So we already see sort of that contradiction, right? He's told to rise and go to Nineveh, and he chooses to, to rise and go elsewhere. You can sort of imagine a laugh track at that point as you're reading it, like arise, go to Nineveh. And then it says, but Jonah rose, and then the laugh track plays, right? Because they're trying to point out how silly of a thought this is, that he would do the same action for a different purpose. But then it does these repeated verses. How about this? Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Why repeat that again? To accent how silly the concept is. But that's, that's not just it. Look back again at verse 3. This is sort of, you can imagine a laugh track, right? Or you can imagine like where, where a narrator is sort of like reading a text and then he just sort of looks at the camera for a second, right? It's like, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is pointing out how intentional this was for Jonah. This is pointing out how silly it was for Jonah. But it's specifically pointing out how foolish it was. It's making Jonah a joke and pointing these things out in a way that shows how foolish he's being. So, his purpose was to go to Tarshish, and his purpose was to flee from the presence of the Lord, except we know that you can't flee from the presence of the Lord. We, that, that's a fact. 
Psalm 139.7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Rhetorical question. You can't flee from the Lord's presence. But, but Jonah knows this. And Jonah knows this. If you get your eyes on Jonah 1.9, he says, like we'll get to this next week, but he says to the, to the sailors, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What this is implying is that Jonah, who first retreated by land to get to the sea and is now on a boat to retreat to the sea, is fully acknowledging that the God he is trying to run from is the God that made everything he's running from God with. So Jonah knows who God is. He's not dumb. He's not ignorant. He's foolish. That's what the Bible calls that. Foolishness. And, and when I say foolishness, I don't mean silliness. I don't mean ignorance. I mean what Scripture defines as a fool. And what Scripture defines as a fool is not someone who's ignorant, but somebody who refuses to listen to wisdom. That's Scripture's definition of what a fool is. Somebody who refuses to listen to wisdom. So the question is, what caused his foolishness? Clearly, he's being foolish. So what, what caused him to be foolish? The answer, sin. Sin. We'll get to this much later in chapter 4, but we need to see just a bit of it now. Jonah's heart was filled with sin. And what, and what we learn in chapter 4 is that it was filled with a hatred for God's enemies. The Ninevites, God's enemies. Enemies to the people of Israel. Like we're going to see that Assyria, where the Ninevites are from, like they conquer Israel a, a couple different times. No, no good, no bueno. They do not enjoy the Ninevites. And, and what we see is that Jonah hated them, despised them. And, and not only was he sinful in despising God's enemies, but he's sinful because he didn't value God's character. Like what we see is that he says in chapter 4, like, I know you to be a compassionate God. I know you to be a merciful God. And so I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because Jonah doesn't want God to be those things. Jonah doesn't want those things to be true. But because he knows they're true, he doesn't want to value them. And he doesn't want to see them played out. So Jonah's heart is just filled with sin. And it led him to do foolish things. Things that don't make any sense. Things that you would never expect a prophet of God to do. Things that we are just as capable of. And that's your application point for tonight, is, is be on guard. Be on guard. Be on guard because a sinful heart makes for a foolish mind. Because we encourage sin in our lives, and when we do that, and when we run from it, it can cause us to do things that just don't make any sense. Why would we do that? Why would we give in to that? Why would we say that? Why would we go to this place? Why would we spend our money on this thing? Why would I have this conversation with this person? One of the points of Jonah is to show us that that can happen to us too. Is that the things that we hold on to in sinfulness can lead to foolishness. Direct Ignorance and desire to follow after God. 
So that's your application point for that one. If disobedience leads to death in our first point, and I'm just encouraging you to evaluate yourself and to see where those are. Second thing is a reminder to be on guard and to constantly be vigilant because a sinful heart is what makes a foolish mind. And our third lesson for tonight is that God will have his way. God will have his way. We're going to see the sovereignty of God play out a lot in this book, but this is the first sort of aspect we see of God's sovereignty in this passage, and that's it. He will have his way. Look at me with verse 4 again. Verse 4, Jonah's already paid to be on the boat. He's already on the boat. We don't know how long, but he's there somewhere in the middle of the sea. And it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So what we see here is that God has a response to Jonah's disobedience. We'll get more of that in the weeks to come with the fish and everything like that and and how compassionate God's response truly is and how Jonah wasn't deserving of it. But right now what we see is that God's not going to sit there and take Jonah's disobedience quietly. God's not just going to sit there and let it happen. Yeah, he might have let Jonah travel that 60 miles. He might have let Jonah get on the boat, but he's not going to just sit there quietly while his prophet disobeys him. God takes action to accomplish his will. And as we will read in the next few weeks, God will accomplish his will. It succeeds. God gets Jonah to Nineveh, convinces him to go there, convinces him to preach. God is sovereign. He's Lord over all. And God always accomplishes what he sets out to do. We just sang it over and over again. I trust in God because he will never fail I trust in God because he will never fail like the same sovereignty that we see him play out here when he sends this tempest and storm and then when he sends the fish is the same sovereignty we trust in when we say that we know he won't fail us that we can trust in him and trust in his promises like we need to acknowledge that God never fails in anything he sets out to do including when he wants something done from one of his prophets This is on the screen, Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. This is talking about God. Saying, God says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's a promise you can take home. Or Proverbs 21.30, this is on the screen too. It says, no wisdom, no understanding, No counsel can avail against the Lord. Meaning no one fools the Lord. No one outtricks him. No one outsmarts him. No one outlaughs him. Nothing is victorious over God. God is the one who's always victorious. God will have his way. That's our point from this verse. And and I think and I desire that this point creates in you two emotions, two different emotions. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other, sometimes it's a mixture of both. But I want to talk about the two types of emotions you should really feel when it comes to knowing that God will always have his way. And the first one I want to talk about is fear. I want to talk about how for some of us, we should have a sense of godly fear. 
right? Like fear of the Lord, the fear of God, because God will accomplish his, pan, his plans, and sometimes those plans mean he's going to create a storm. Sometimes those plans means he's going to send a fish to swallow someone up. And we should have this healthy sense of fear because what we want to be is we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient. We want to be the type of person that when God is accomplishing his will and his plans that we are found obedient to want to do it. We want to be the Isaiah that says, here I am, Lord, send me, take me, send me to the world to speak what you need. We don't want to be like Jonah. Hashtag don't be a Jonah. We don't want for the moment to come when the Lord is having his will and moving throughout the world to be the ones found sleeping in the ship, to be the ones found disobedient. Because God intended for Jonah to go to Nineveh and that's exactly what's going to happen either way. Like it could have happened by Jonah obeying. It could have happened by Jonah just rising up and going to Nineveh and doing the thing he was supposed to do, but instead it happened a different way because Jonah decided to be disobedient and it happened because Jonah was going to go through a storm and get swallowed by fish and then have to travel to Nineveh anyways and waste all that time and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff to the story. But either way, it's going to happen. And you don't want to be Jonah. And that's a healthy fear of God. To want to be obedient to him. To want to please him. To want to be a part of his will. That's a healthy fear of the Lord. To respect him and be in awe of his plans. And to be in awe of his word to you. And to be in awe of what he might say to you. So yeah, please, please, when you hear that God will have his way, feel a little bit of fear of God. But also, you should feel some comfort. That's the second thing I'd love for you to feel, comfort. Like I know they feel like opposites for here, right? Like fear and comfort, they seem like they don't go together, but they do. Just, just go with me here for a minute. See, we spend so much time in anxiety. We spend so much time worrying about the future. I was literally having a conversation today and the person I was talking to said, I spend 70% of my time thinking about my future. And I know that's true for most of you. You're wondering where I'm going to be in one to two to three to four or five years, who I'm going to be with, what kind of money I'm going to be making, what kind of job I might have, where I might be living, will I finally be out of my parents' house, will I finally have a car, whatever it might be, you are thinking through all the things that may be. But God will have his way. And clearly what Jonah proves is no matter what we do, even if we're doing it in disobedience, God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. God gets done what he wants to get done. And the reason that this should bring comfort is because we know that God can accomplish something even with the disobedience of his prophet and the disobedience of man. So how much more can we trust that he will accomplish something when we desire to be obedient to him? Like when you're wondering what I should do, if I should marry this person, if I should go off to school here, if I should take this job, and your sole desire out of the fear of the Lord is to be obedient to him, then you can also have comfort 
If you fear the Lord correctly, you can have comfort because God wants to have his will. God wants to have his way and you are an obedient servant that just wants that to happen too. And you can trust that God will allow it to happen. We tell high school students that all the time. Wondering about what college to go to. We tell them, worry about just being faithful to the Lord with where he has you right now and you will get to the right place. You will be in the right place because you will be doing the purpose. Matthew 20, 18, right? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them and all the commands that Jesus has. Like if you're faithful to the purpose that God has given you, if you're obedient to him, he's gonna have his way. You don't have to worry about it. No one can get in the way of the will of God. No one is victorious over God. No one has their own mind over God. And so yeah, feel fear, but feel comfort. So that's the three lessons we see from Jonah in tonight's passage. Disobedience leads to death. Be reminded of that. Look for areas of disobedience in your life. A sinful heart makes a foolish mind. That's a reminder of the urgency in which we should be looking for those things. And then God will have his way. Desire to have a healthy fear of the Lord and just find comfort in the fact that he's sovereign. I'm going to give you some time right now, time of reflection. To, to be able to do that. So think on one of those three points just for two minutes. Which ones do you need to commit to right now? Which ones do you need to have a practical response to right now? I am going to do this. Whether it's I'm going to repent of this, I'm going to have a conversation with this person and apologize for my foolishness, or I'm going to give over this part of anxiety to the Lord and just focus on being obedient to him. Whatever you need, take a couple minutes. I'll wrap up with some prayer. Lord, you say in your word, Matthew 13, 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. What has been sown in his heart. That's what's sown along the path. Then you say right here, as for for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, receives it with joy, and yet has no root, endures for a while, but when tribulations or persecution comes, they fall away. Or the one with with thorns, who hears the word, but then the cares of the world and deceitfulness choke it out. Lord, I, I pray that that wouldn't be true about us. I pray that we wouldn't let the thorns of this world, the cares, the concerns, the desires of this world, I pray that it it wouldn't cause us to want to be foolish and disobedient, Lord. I pray that it wouldn't lead us to death but that we would give those things over to you, Lord, that we would not be strangled out by the thorns, Lord, but that we would be good soil. Would you make us good soil tonight? Would you use the prayers that we just offered to you as commitments to move forward in fearing you and finding comfort in you and being pure and holy in you? Lord, may we not stand for anything else, but may we be men and women of God who desire to please you and to be obedient, to be unlike Jonah, Lord, and more like Isaiah. Would you make that desire of our hearts true tonight? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.